0: Fox Sports is the home of Australian rugby, and this is the official Fox Rugby podcast with your host, Nick McCardle. Yes, welcome to the Fox Rugby podcast once again. Good to be back with you after uh, missing last week, and a big thank you to Greg Clark for, for stepping into the breach. Uh, Seamless. Yeah, he was. In fact, he was very, very good. I was a little bit nervous. Yeah. Um, so welcome today to Sam Worthington, Christy Doran. Thank you for uh, for helping ease him into it last week. I think he had a ball. Well,
1: well I haven't seen Clarky uh, for a few days now. Is he okay? Well, he's, and he's resting up. You haven't uh, taken him for a walk, <laughs> <laughs> Sydney <laughs> Harbour or the cliff. Or
0: something. <laughs> Hopefully,
1: Clarkie's still with us. But yeah, thanks for filling in. Grant.
0: No oysters for you, unfortunately, this week. <laughs> no, that's right. How
1: yeah. was your time with uh, Polly down there in Canberra? You
0: yeah, really a- good actually. No, it was a it was an interesting day with the uh, announcement that he was pulling the pin. I hadn't been much public beforehand but pulling the pin on his super rugby career but still um certainly full of hope that he can get back for the wallabies and doing everything he can but um yeah it was it was sad in a way big turnout in a in a press sense and uh he did a couple of one-on-ones afterwards and we spent some time with him um yeah, I, I think that uh, there was certainly an element of sadness there that he knew his, uh, his Super Rugby time was over. Yeah, it's always a bit curious when you're retiring but
1: you're not, you've still got so much yeah. you want to achieve, it's a it's a strange one to grapple with. But, yeah, he spoke very well as he always does.
0: Mm. Um, it's Talking of speaking very well, which I can't just at the moment, but bear with us, it'll, we'll get there. Um, we're looking forward to catching up with uh, Lockie McCaffrey, the the Brumbies back rower, in just a moment, and also uh, Tim Horan joining us. So it would be interesting to get his thoughts on uh, the makeup of the World Cup squad. Uh, a guy who's won two of them should know a fair bit about it and also been. An Australian selector, um, but also uh, the '99 uh, World Cup winners have their reunion in 20 Sydney. Twenty years this, on, yeah. So get it up, get up, yeah. Okay. Um, but they're still a like, they they do this quite regularly, and and still a, a very close group, and a lot of them are still very very close. Half mates. of them are in our books, aren't they? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's why they <laughs> see each other so often.
1: They've booked out the podcast room for the occasion. <laughs> yeah, it's
0: going to be big. Like... But um, yeah, so so looking forward to catching up with uh, with Timmy about that but there's a couple of uh, really crucial games one in particular of course the the Tars and the Brumbies this weekend and and the Rebels um, playing the Crusaders as well so it's a a really fascinating weekend of Super Rugby with two weeks to go. Yeah as you
1: just mentioned uh, I fear Christy huge ramifications for finals with three teams still in the mix but also Wallabies selections this is yeah, last chance alone for a few guys on the on the fringe to impress Michael Checker and the rest of the selectors.
2: Crunch time, is it? Should we just rewind quickly and go Rebels, Tars? I know that the game's obviously been done and dusted for a few days, but it was one of the you know with only three weeks to go now, two weeks to go. Mm. Huge ramifications, and once again we saw the Tars managing to you know, get a, a, a narrow victory over the Rebels.
0: In terms of huge ramifications, so so. Um, do you think that that, that 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 performance, that one performance um, has had big impact? Well, it's not one performance. I'm talking about Quade Cooper um, not really being able to find his rhythm and, and have an impact on the game for the second time this season against – the Waratahs and against really his arch nemesis for that 10 jersey for the Wallabies, Bernard Foley. Do, do, do you think these performances in isolation have an impact on, on Wallaby selection? I don't think they're isolation now because
2: we saw a very similar situation happen in Sydney five, six, seven weeks ago. So I think you put the two of them together, you put the, um, how the events have unfolded over the last month. Quay Cooper had a bit of a honeymoon and the, and the Rebels a bit of a honeymoon period in that first six weeks where uh, they were playing a style of rugby which was different to other Australian rugby sides um, and and they haven't really been able to adjust uh, over the last two months. We've seen that they've only won a couple of games and, and Cooper's been there all along and unfortunately they clearly went in there with a plan and we heard the commentators and yourself you on the, the sidelines on, on Friday evening but Timmy and, and also Kafe's saying that, look, they've got to start to run the ball a little bit. Mm. Timmy was saying it after 45 minutes and was saying it after 75 minutes. So, it's two things. One, I don't think they've been able to have a plan B because clearly it wasn't working. Marika Korobedi, every time he ran the ball, he, he got great metres and looks the most damaging player out there. But that they were bypassing quade cooper 's kicking game, which says that he 's not firstly probably the best kicker in the Shane rugby, but he he didn 't get many opportunities to run the ball and I think as a as a ten as a playmaker you 've got to be the one stamping your authority over the matches and and he wasn 't and you know Hal Petty clearly he was kicking a fair bit gannny 's box kicking wasn 't on uh, miles too long at times, and the Waratahs as key men, I think Bill shaded Haleb Petty. Foley shaded uh, certainly, beat Cooper on the, on the head on it. I think even Nick Phipps probably shaded Genia. Yeah, look,
1: it's been good to see some extra spice in these derby games. I think the standards lifted certainly from last year when these when two Aussie teams meet. It's it's pretty good rugby. It was a lot lot better than that uh, turgid Blues Bulls game beforehand. Um, you know, normally the five thirty mm. games are a better spectacle. Mm. So,
0: yeah, the cra- <laughs> they made up for it five thirty on the Saturday night. They went around out of the Crusaders. Oh yeah, yeah.
1: But um, yeah, like you say, it was just a lack of um, thinking on their feet and, and coming up with different strategies. Morgan Turanui and Drew Mitchell covered it off well on the Super Rugby wrap on. On Monday night, and yeah, look, Quade. I think he's still by far got the best passing game in Australia. Like his ability to put others into space is still unrivalled. But yeah, the, the complete package in terms of game management um, and yeah, imposing himself in, in the really crucial moments probably still leaves a little bit uh, to be desired.
2: It's it's a big call because there's there's only thirty one spots in this Wallaby side to go to Japan, and how many playmakers can you have when you've got someone like Curtly Bill who can step into 10 if you need to, and Matt Tamil who can play by 10, 12. Can you – and also the Brumbies, who, by the way, are are leading the Australian Conference now by some way, and Christian Leofano also being able to play 10 and 12 and goal kick competently, Mm. he must be, I think, Towards the, you know, he's certainly back into the reckoning, into the uh, into the selectors' minds because he's playing good footy and he's defensively probably more sound than a couple of the guys that we've just mentioned.
0: Well, and and we are in a situation uh, this weekend where he'll go head to head with uh, with Bernard Foley. So you know, if if this is how we're judging things, then uh, we'll know a bit more perhaps after this weekend, and that's a perfect time to uh, to bring in Lockie McCaffrey joining us on the Fox Rugby Podcast. Listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast. Lockie, thanks for joining us on the Fox Rugby Podcast.
3: No thanks, Bella.
0: Thanks, Anthony. And as I understand it, you're uh, you're in an Uber home. Is that right? I am. I'm
3: just my normal morning and afternoon Uber. I'm lucky enough live with. Big Alan, mate, and Brumbies um, and Wallaby, you know, these big dogs, mate, they drive around these fancy Land Rover sure Discoveries, mate, so I've got the, I'm in the passenger seat, I've got the the warming things on, you know, what are they called? The yeah, It's called a heater. The man. heater, <laughs> mate. It's mate, so...
2: If you, if you want any questions, Sam. So, so Alan, are you an Uber driver and you're part-time? You're you, you hours away from the game, are No, eh? mate. No. <laughs> Let's not start that. Mate. You make yourself comfortable in the
3: passenger seat, I'll tell you that much.
2: <laughs> and is that a bit of
1: uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken? I can <laughs> smell wafting through the uh, the phone lines here. That-
3: I want to know what that tastes like, mate. I heard that it's really
4: good. I heard
3: that it's really good. <laughs> but, uh, mate, I heard that Colonel's got a special recipe that I really want to try one day. But mate, you know, <laughs> hopefully, I get around to it. open up his glove box,
1: mate. Tell it. Tell it's for, for that. It's
3: really good too. Mate, I'm potato and oh, gravy, <laughs> 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 yeah.
0: the, the, the two of you have lost the plot. This, this is uh, this is good uh, fodder. Uh, sorry, guys. Sorry. No, no, don't, no, don't be sorry. No, no, it's uh, it's it's all good stuff. Um, so you, you guys been training today, big, or big, big game this week, isn't it? Mate, it is. Today's our big training
3: day, so we were in at about uh, seven thirty for. Um, Line out and unit reviews and previews, and then into team stuff, and then um, a big unit session, mate, with, with Dan and Laurie to get the to get the boys going, and then a team session um, into some gym and flex in the arbor into a bit of a promo out at one of the local schools, Canberra Grammar. So, um, yeah, probably our longest day, mate, but um, good to get the prep done early in the week. And as you said, mate, uh, one of the biggest games of the year, mate. So, um, yeah, we don't mind putting a few extra hours in um,
1: during the week. Yeah, just before we uh, look ahead to that massive Waratahs clash, we had Jack Maddox on the podcast last week. They'd been over in Tokyo and he'd had a few cultural issues um, getting to grips with, with Uber Eats over there. Um, how, how did you find your your time in, in Japan? Any good stories from tour? Uh, mate, we, I think the Rebels spent a few extra days
3: there. That right. I, We only arrived Thursday... And we left that night, so it was a pretty quick trip, mate. But um, the boys all love um, touring over there, good spot to visit. I, had, I, luckily enough, roomed with Matty Lucas, who, who spent um, a bit of time with Tori last year. Um, and he took me out with, with James Slipper, who could smell a feed from a mile away, mate. And we <laughs> met up with uh, Sean McMahon and, and had a bit of a traditional... I don't know how to really say it, mate. It's the yoky niku or something. Yeah, yeah. Yorkie, uh, yeah. Or something, the, mate. the beef. Shabu shabu. Shabu, that's it. No shabu shabu. Alan, Alan knows his. I food, was, mate. Yeah, I heard.
0: I heard about that. <laughs> I heard about that as well. <laughs>
3: Alan knows his <laughs> dishes, mate. So... Did you? Is you, you going to start, Alan? Is that deep fried as well? <laughs> no. uh, nah, nah, mate. That's the tom katsu, mate. Come on, you shouldn't know that. I went down uh, every every year. <laughs> 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 but mate, Seven Eleven you. In five, the Seven Eleven, year, and the family mart, they sell fried chicken, mate. They <laughs> do, don't
2: they? Yeah. they are very good. So, though. I mean,
3: I'll walk into Seven Eleven here in Canberra and tell them they should invest in something like that because, mate, it will go off. <laughs> mate, you, you, before the World Cup, mate, you should invest in any Seven
2: Eleven. <laughs> I, 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 I know where Alan will be going. <laughs> uh, yeah. um, Lockie, how did you? How, like, you've 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 just been to Japan, obviously only there for a couple of days, but not bad for a, a, a leave pass, I suppose, because you've just had a kid as well. Yeah, mate. Little Harfish is
3: just over three weeks old, so it was. Um, yeah, it was first first trip away from the from the little fair mate, but it was um it was well, I wasn't complaining mate. I slept like a log on the plane going over, um and and caught up on a on a few sets, mate over there. So it was um yeah obviously a bit different now going away and and leaving leaving the missus with with the buff, mate. Bit bit hard on her not being able to um you know help out with the dirty nappies mate and the and the crying baby all day and all night, but mate
0: she's doing well and um I was back into back into it Sunday arvo mate when we when we got back to Canberra. So what's it like um you know these these last two games I mean you guys are in the prime position aren't you and and uh and clearly you know a win uh this weekend against the Tars really sets things up for you. What's what's the last couple of weeks like for you? Mate to be to be honest it's
3: pretty relaxed down here. I think um I think you know, it's pretty good down here in Canberra. You kind of stay away from any of the media, etc. And we probably learned our lessons earlier in the season with a, probably getting into a little bit of a hype too early. You know, we had that strong win over the chiefs and, you know, everyone was talking about the Brumbies and, um, you know, being able to put 50, 50 points on the Kiwi side. And from then we went through a little bit of a lull for for three or four weeks, mate, and probably went away from what's important in terms of the, the prep during the week. And, and just sort of focusing on our game and our standards. So, um, yeah, I, I think you know we're in a good spot and obviously happy with the with the wins over the last two months. Um, but you know, definitely not getting ahead of ourselves, mate. The um, the boys are training as hard as ever, um, and you know, there's no no bigger game. You know, it doesn't matter where the Waratahs are on the table or ourselves. Every game versus the Waratahs. They, these games, a huge um, intensity picks up, the physicality picks up, mate. And um, at the at the moment, that's the that's the only focus
1: that the uh, you know is Saturday night down at down at Parramatta, mate. Uh, it, it's it's been pretty amusing the Flawfire storyline uh, throughout the season, him being top of the try-scoring charts. Allen might be able to weigh in here as well as a, a fellow front rower, but I imagine a few people f- found it a bit amusing, did they, that uh, he missed out on the weekend and Connell McEnany comes off the bench and, and grabs three. Has there been a bit of banter flying around? Yeah, mate. The boys were stoked for,
3: for Connell. Um, getting, getting a little bit of um, meat pie, a bit of love over the over the chalk, mate. So I was happy for him. Probably treated you know, for um, I think got a bit of a rest, mate. Coming on at halftime for get into the get into the half time food before we finish the game. So, um, yeah, mate. For I, I think the the thing that people don't realise, you know, a few people have talked about our mall and Brumbies the way we play, all the you know all this rubbish, mate. But the amount of work we put into our mall as a, as a forward back is um, is unseen and. No so one, at the end of the day, not many people like mauling mate on a, on a Tuesday when it's freezing cold and windy and wet in Canberra, but we put that much time into it that when it does pay off, um, you know, and, and Lau or Connell or Bongo or whoever it is finishes, you know, it's a pretty good reward for all the graft that, that we put in during the week.
0: And Dan uh, McKellar made the point the other day that even when it's not, The forwards driving over the the defence can become so compressed that, and and we saw it with um, with Tavita a couple of weeks ago that it creates these opportunities if you play off the back of the mall uh, for for the for the outside backs as well.
3: You're spot on. You know, I think we've got a you know we've got a few little plays off malls. We've obviously just got your your straight forward mall with the forwards. The backs can come in. Um, for a little bit of support. Or as you mentioned, mate, you've got short balls with, with centres like Iray, um, Tommy Wright and Tavita running pretty good lines, mate. So I think, you know, we're pretty happy as a group that the balance in our game, where it needs to be. Obviously, trying to improve um, our game each week. And part of that is throwing different options and, and being able to create different attack shapes throughout the year. Um, but, you know... The mall works really well, and and we do it better than the most teams. So,
4: um,
3: you know, we'll we'll keep working on that. I'm sure for now we'll score a few more tries before the season finishes, mate. Um, but yeah, you know, I think it I think it does give a, a good platform for teams, mate. When you when you've got a really good board pack and and mate sitting at the back at number eight or in the back row, I couldn't be happier, mate. In terms of the, the work and the grunt that our Type five, do for guys like you know Alan next to me Falau, You've got Rory Arnold, Cart, Scotty, and slips. And um, you know when you go to a scrum and you know you're going to have a dominant scrum, you go to a line out more. You know you're going to have a, a dominant you know set piece. It's a it's a pretty good feeling, mate. And a pretty good way to um, you know start a game of footy.
2: What are you expecting this weekend? Because clearly there was a, a fair bit of niggle down in Canberra last time the two sides met.
3: Yeah, mate, I, you know, there's always a little bit of niggle probably. I think, um, you know, guys like guys like Ned and some of those boys, um, you know, like getting under under opposition teams and, and, you know, doing a bit of push and shove, mate. But, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think you've got to, I think Palau kind of does it better than most players, mate. You you stand up for each other on the field, but at the end of the day, <clears throat> um, that doesn't win games, mate, and you're you carry hard, you, you take opportunities to whack blokes in defence and at breakdowns and, um, you know, I think those areas of the game, you know, are, are more effective than the, than the push and shove and, and stuff like that made off the
0: ball. Lockie, um, how much are you – well, I think I know the answer to this. You, you're clearly enjoying your rugby a, a lot, but I want to get to your path back to Australian rugby um, and those – those years on the clock, you know, you're 27, 28. You're 28 now, aren't you? Mate, 24. No,
3: mate, <laughs> um, mate, i just 29. I just turned 29, so I'm, Did getting, you? I'm getting old, mate. But, yeah. but,
0: but it's, a, it's a really good story, mate, because you you were told after uh, stints at three super rugby organisations that, uh, that you weren't wanted anymore. You couldn't get a gig. So you've obviously backed yourself. You still had the belief in your own ability uh, that, that you could make it at some level. You go across to England, you learn as a player, you, you come back and, and you're making your mark. I'm just wondering what advice or, or whether that's a template for for other guys in Australian rugby who, you know, might might be sort of on the edge of making it, not making it. Um, wh- what's in it to, to go overseas and, and learn your craft? Yeah,
3: Nick, it's a good question, mate. It's... Um you know, I obviously wouldn't recommend it for every player. I think every player um, has a journey and a different journey and a different way of getting to where they want to be. Um, and and I wouldn't wouldn't lie as in terms of going overseas. Definitely isn't the first choice when you when you're 24 years old and you're trying to play Super Rugby and, and make it to the Wallabies. So it wasn't by choice that I went overseas. Um, and I'd never pretend that you know it was. I went over to a to a team on um you know minimum minimum wage and we lost forty two games in a row, mate. So it wasn't it wasn't a great year. But what it did was it, it got a lot of rugby under my belt. Um, you know, I played nearly a hundred Premiership and European games in three years and I think what that did, mate, is uh you, you get to show your skills as a rugby player instead of um I think a lot of super rugby in, in Australia um, over the probably the last five years um from my from my perspective mate if you're a good athlete and you're good in the gym and you've got your fast over 20 meters etc you normally get the you normally get the first jersey um and you know i think overseas especially in the rugby i played um you know in england they weren't too worried mate about what you lifted in the gym or or how dynamic how explosive you were or you know what's what your speed test was and they just looked at you on the field, and if you play good rugby, they kept picking you. And luckily, luckily, mate, for the guys like me that that aren't the best athletes and you know aren't these huge explosive ball carriers, mate. Um, you know, it gave me an opportunity to to not get judged, you know, in the gym or on the training paddock. And and I had coaches that judge judge me from what I did on a Saturday afternoon, which 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 definitely helped my case, mate. And um, I think. It probably, you know, in seasons over in the UK where you play upwards near 40 games a season, they're they're a lot more focused on what you can do on the pitch than than anything you can do at training. Where with super with with these longest pre seasons and then, you know, a 16 game season, I find a lot of the time, uh, you know, guys that are probably haven't haven't don't have much experience actually on the footy field, but they're they're great in the gym, and they're really good trainers, mate. They normally get the they normally get picked first, so it's probably a different different way of looking at seasons, mate. Obviously, the amount of games over there helps you helps you get a bit more game time. Um, where yeah. if you're not if you're not in the starting team in Super Rugby, you know the seasons can go a lot quicker. So I wouldn't tell anyone to go overseas before you've had a real good crack here, mate. Which I which I tried my best, but at the same time, you look at a lot of players that, that go overseas and, you know, I think all of them sort of turn into better rugby players. You you look at guys like Will Skelton, everyone's talking about him now and, um, you know, everyone back used to say, oh, he's too slow or he's not fit enough or this or that, always negative things. And you, he's gone over and he's a European and English champion, mate, and now everyone's talking about bringing him back. So, um, yeah, it, it's interesting, mate, you you know, I, I I would love Australian rugby um, probably to to judge players, you know, in the 80 minutes on a game day instead of, you know, continually sort of in a gym or how they look or their skin folds, mate. But, um, you know, I guess that's a, the that's a world we live in and professional sport, you know, has, has, has pretty high standards. But I think at the end of the day, the most important thing is how you play on, on game day, mate. And... um for me, luckily enough, I had coaches over there like Aaron Major that that saw something in me, and um, yeah, it was a it was a great experience, or as you mentioned, a, a different one to most people, but one um one I definitely don't
2: regret. It's certainly a fascinating discussion. You could bring in people like Billy Meeks who couldn't get a run either and went mm. over there and has come back and doing a great job down at the Rebels. Um, Alan, if, if you're still oh, – I don't want to distract you from your Ubering driving, um, but uh, Lucky McCaffrey, would he look out of place in a, in a gold jersey this year? No, I don't
3: reckon so, mate. Um, I think he's, he's, he's strung enough uh, consistent performances together, you know, to give himself that opportunity to be in there. Um, but obviously those decisions are made made out of his hands. So I think what he's doing now is perfect to give him every chance to uh, have that possibility of putting on that gold jersey. And, um, you know, obviously the only thing that counts for him is, is just getting his prep right and, um, as I said before, putting on his best performances, which he has been in the past, um, and, and to continue that for the rest of the season. And I'm going to have to shout him a Zinger. I'm going to have to shout him, I'm <laughs> him on his knee. you going to put him on his knee while I'm talking, mate, because he knows you have to shout him. Yeah, up he be, uh, when, I, when, when he does me a favour like that, mate, he always asks for a two-piece feed, but with an extra eight pieces of chicken, mate. <laughs> <laughs> <Right. laughs> That's a wicked, wicked one. I, I, I
0: just can't. I just can't believe we're doing this interview with you guys parked in the drive-through. <laughs> no, I know. No. And the, the, the good thing is, mate, we're pulled up at home out the front, and I can hear.
1: I can hear little Harper crying, mate, inside, so no rush, mate. Uh, You better bump that Uber uh, review up to five stars as well, just quietly.
3: Yeah,
1: 100%. Hey, uh, Lockie, the, the back row at the Brumbies um, this year, Like you've had David Pocock missing pretty much the whole season. Rob Vallatini has, has missed most of it. You have missed a chunk of it as well. Um, people might have thought that would, would be an issue, but the, the depth um, that you've managed to create in the back row there has been outstanding, and obviously Jerome Brown coming in and, and adding to that as well. A, as, a, as a group, you must be pretty happy with how you're going? Yeah, mate, it's, it's been unreal. You
3: know, from the, from the sidelines coming back from this injury, it's been... Um, it's been awesome to watch guys like Pete, obviously transition, play a different style of rugby coming over here to, to Oz and Brumbies, and he's just got better and better week in week out. Um, I think Jerome mate came over on a trial pretty much last year with the Brumbies mate, and um, you know he's been he's been our biggest find this year, I'd say. And then you've got guys like Tommy Cusack who I think's playing probably the best footy I've ever seen, mate. He's, for a, for a skinny little white bloke, mate, he's going through holes and getting through heaps of work. And um, I don't think if you, if you, if you picked, um, you know, a player's player at the end of the year, mate, for the Brumbies, I'm sure he's going to be up there. And what people don't realise is, obviously, Poey hasn't played much. Uh, myself and Robbie have both had knee injuries. And, and also Ben Hine, who captains our Vikings team and, and has huge raps on him, did he DCL um just before the season started so um yeah mate lucky for for dan and the coaching staff they've had some pretty good options there to go to um some of our second rowers are pretty athletic in in murray and darcy and have played a little bit of sticks too so um you know i think i think the brumbies forward pack traditionally has always been a hard forward pack to to get into And, and when you get in that when you get in the pack you um you grow another leg mate and i think these boys that have come into the pack have have really have really bought in and haven't let anyone down that's for sure and it's um you know whoever they pick in terms of the eight starting guys and the guys on the bench i think um you know, you've got a big job to do in terms of step, piece, small, and around the field.
2: Just, just before we let you go, Poey clearly the devastating news that he's not going to be playing for the Brumbies uh, again. But what's he been doing and offering um, off the field and, and helping you guys prepare,
3: mate? Yeah, you, you know, everyone knows how uh, professional Poe is in terms of his prep, and um, you know just how he, I guess, how he lived his life, how he how he goes day in, day out. Um. You know, me and Alan probably aren't the best people to talk to, mate, in terms of um, learning off Poey with our with our diet and our prep and our stretching, mate, and, and all that all that jazz that goes with with footy, mate. But you know, I think I think what people don't realise is how how good a leader is Poey in terms of um, driving standards at a, at a rugby club and and making sure everyone's really ripping in. He you know he leads by his actions, and although he hasn't been able to contribute much on the field this year for the Brumbies, Um, you know, as a leader and as a player that a lot of the young guys, a lot of the back rowers, forwards look up to, he always, uh, you know, he always puts his best foot forward and and shows the young guys how to best prep and um, always, always is there if you've you've got a question for him, mate. So, yeah, it's been disappointing in terms of we would have loved to have him on the field a bit more. Um, I'm sure he would too. Not the way he probably wanted to finish at the Brumbies, but um, he does a huge amount off the field for the for the younger boys and and the Brumbies team group in general that, that people don't realise.
0: And hopefully we'll see him back in a, a gold jersey sooner rather than later. Uh, Lockie, we can't uh, we can't deny Harper or Daddy for too much longer. So thanks very much for joining us today, and and Al, drive safely.
3: Thanks mate, we'll do. Thanks guys, enjoy the night.
0: And sorry, um, sorry, the promo went a bit longer than I thought. Don't, <laughs> Cheers, don't be silly. No, great to catch up. Cheers, boys. You're listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast. How good is that to catch up with Lockie McCaffrey, with the added bonus of Alan Alatara in the driver's seat? So uh, we thank them for their time. Uh, just picking up from that. Obviously, you know good good teams are usually close teams but even Last Tuesday um, down there for David Pocock's announcement, just got the sense that, you know, there's something special in the culture in, in Canberra. And I think we'd probably say that for most of the years throughout their Super Rugby existence. You know, the, the guys who have played down there always said that there's there's something special about playing for the Brumbies. But, um, you yeah, know, they just seem to be a really happy bunch. And you talk to a guy like James Slipper who's who's gone there from another organisation. thriving. Yeah. And, and just genuinely, you know, there's there's a time when you think, guys say, Oh yeah, I'm having a great time, you know? And you go, Well of course you're gonna say that because I'm I'm an outsider here but when someone like James Slipper says, Mate, I'm I'm just enjoying this more than I've ever enjoyed my rugby it, it it's very genuine and, and you get the sense that, yeah, there's just something – there's an X factor about the culture down there.
1: Yeah, it's it's the same old story that's been there almost from day one. A lot of guys that maybe grew up like Lockie did um, in, in the Sydney system and mm-hmm. didn't, didn't get a look in, they, they'd go away, do something else, come back and and um, get embraced and become leaders at the club, I guess. So, yeah, it's uh, it's great to see. Obviously, Lockie's just re-signed. Scott CEO's, uh re-signed. So while they're losing Poey, they're, they're you know retaining some, some big names under Dan McKellar. So I think yep. they are – Putting, you know something nicely, if not this year, they're pretty well placed this year, but for the next few years as well.
0: They are well placed this year and, and that brings us to that game against the Tars. Um, no second chance for the Tars. Every time they step out on the park at the moment, it's a grand final for them. The Brumbies, of course, with a bit more wriggle room, but they're desperate to maintain their momentum as well. Uh, it's a massive game at Bankwest Stadium. Huge game. I'm just thinking about what I'm going to do for my tip for
2: this week, but it's it's... <laughs> Toss the coin and stuff, I think. I think the Brumbies will come back and it's
0: not as easy as Do you, you th- think... That, I, d- I don't do think it's as easy. Do you genuinely think it is, a toss of the coin? Given
2: that the Tars were... They pushed the Brumbies earlier in the year. Only just came up short. Probably should have won the game. Mm. The handling was terrible. But the fact that they're playing for their season, um, I think you know, Foley had a good game. I think he's probably come back. I think they like those sorts of crunch games. Everyone's going to lift for a local derby like this. And the Brumbies coming back... From Japan, we we all thought, you know, great, great, great victory against the um, uh, Sunwolves. The Sunwolves, and mm. and then the, the week before, we also yeah, the Re- the Rebels have done it too. So whether or not you know the side is as focused as it might be, or they played as well the week before, maybe not quite as sure.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I just think the Brumbies really backed themselves at set piece against you know what what we keep going on about it, a slightly undersized Waratahs pack. Uh, they've obviously got that great. Front row um, options with con slipper there, um, and yeah, I think they'll bet themselves to demolish them in the scrums in, in the the five, and the yeah, uh, and, and get the job done. Yeah, mm.
0: and uh, and the other one that uh, that really, I mean, you you've got the Reds playing the Blues on uh, on Friday night in Brisbane. Unfortunately, um, the Red season over. Uh, the Rebels though against the Crusaders, uh, that is that is massive.
1: Yeah, it's not the daunting trip that. Some people might make it out to be. I know they've, they've had one unbeaten in about 26 games, admittedly. But we've seen the Crusaders uh, wobble a bit. They're missing a few a few guys. Like the Rebels have got just as many test star names on paper. So, yeah, I don't see any reason why they'd be daunted by it. I, ho- I hope they embrace the challenge. I think Will Guinea is going to sit this one out um, as per the rest program. By the sounds of it, that'll be the play, and then uh, he'll come back next week. But, look, of course, Crusaders are favourites, but I don't see why the Rebels can't make a game of it.
2: Mm. I would be I would be resting a couple of players and I would be just throwing everything for the for the week after against the Chiefs. I think good opportunity maybe to bring muddy Tamua in at 10, give Quaid the week off. He's played a lot of rugby this year. Um, the forwards, there's been a class coming in and out because of injury, but maybe just anyone who's got a bump or bruise or swat, slight little tweak, sit them out. Uh, it will be interesting to see what Dave Vessels does, but clearly they've got to win one of the next two. Crusaders, it's 27 games I think it is that have been unbeaten there. Mind you, the Sharks drew with them not long ago but
0: an almighty task. Mm, It is indeed. Um, So we wish uh, the Australian teams or whoever you might barrack for uh, on the weekend all the very best. That's the perfect time to bring in our next guest one Timothy Horan. You're listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast. Timmy, good afternoon to you. Terrific to have you on board the uh, the Fox Rugby Podcast.
4: Thanks, Nick. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And, um, you yeah, know, I'm sure we're going to talk about every big reunion that's coming up for our 1999 World Cup team. And hopefully we recognise most of the players that, and coaches that were with us 20 years ago.
0: <laughs> exactly right. That's uh, why we have got you on. So so that's on Thursday uh, lunchtime. So uh, run us through it. Have you got almost everyone on board?
4: I mean, are they all going to be there? Yeah, pretty much, which is great. Um, no one's dropped off the perch yet in 20 years, so um, most of the players will be. There's a couple of players who, who can't make it. There's a uh, Phil Kearns, actually his daughter, uh, has just made the Australian water polo team, and uh, so he, he'll be away overseas with her, which is a, a great occasion. He might send us a, a bit of a video back. Um, and I know that Jason littles uh, daughter as well is in the New South Wales under-18 netball team. So a couple of guys like that with their kids, of course, have, have grown up, but... Apart from that, I think nearly all the coaching staff, physios, doctors, etc., there and <laughs> assistant coaches. So uh, yeah, it should be a, a good couple of days. Very special,
1: outstanding. Out of that ninety-nine team, Tim, w- which player has perhaps taken a different career path? Uh, ended up somewhere you wouldn't have predicted. Is, is there anyone that uh, leaps out there?
4: Um, well, probably Matty Burke. You know, reading the, the the sport for for Channel Ten for many yeah. years, Burkey was a you know, he's he always quite a. Uh, uh, a, a person, a bit of a shy person in the early days, but then towards the back end of his career, quite opened up a fair bit. And you would have thought that Berkey would have gone and would have probably been assistant coach. I mean, he tried that a little bit, uh, kicking coach with the Waratahs for a, a few years, and, uh, and then he's ventured out into the the, the TV land. So um, I thought
0: you were going to say back in the playing day he couldn't read. So
4: <laughs> <laughs> that was one of them. He couldn't spell anyway. He could read, but he couldn't spell. Well, there's probably a few of us like that.
2: Well, he's <laughs> writing these days as well.
4: Um, he is, yeah. So Bergie's done. Well and then probably you know, a guy like Joe Roth, who's been very quiet since, you know, retirement and, and, and runs a uh, a family office fund down in Canberra. So everyone obviously branches out and I suppose the era that we came through, a lot of players played a little bit of amateur rugby then came in the professional era when I was quite young. So I suppose the network that we had within the rugby industry, you know, probably helped us out later in our uh, careers.
2: Timmy, when, you, when you're when 99 and perhaps all around those years, who, who are the people that, um, I don't know, the, the ring leaders or the, the the guys that would arrange the out, the outings back then?
4: Um, they probably vary. Toto Kefu, um, you know, was one of the leaders of the happy hours and things like that. And It depends <laughs> on whether – I mean, you always had – You probably had, you know, a golfing group, which was, you know, George Griegan would organise that and Matty Burke. Uh, Then you have another group who might go go go-karting. That might be Toto Kefu's group. So, um, and then uh, I suppose there was different guys who would do different things. I mean, Tommy Bowman, who joined the the trip um, just before we left to go away, you know, Tommy would have some little romantic walks through different parts of, um, you know, <laughs> Wales or, or London, so right. not many people went with him, though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and what are your best memories? And I'm sure this is something that, uh, that you'll all be talking about on, on Thursday. There'll be some panel discussions up on stage at, at the lunch, the Cauliflower Club lunch um, in Sydney. But, you know, when you asked to tell Yarns, what are, what are your best memories and, and, you know, some of the stories that uh, you, you like retelling?
4: Yeah, probably. I mean, best. Uh, I mean, thought right throughout the whole process was that we had a pretty unique group on the field, of course, and and also off the field. But I think people often ask what was the key ingredient, and I, and I sort of always say it's trust. Um, and in when people talk rugby or you talk, you know, rugby league as well, you, you hear this word called cover defence. And cover defence, for those who don't know, means that you know you are anticipating that one of your teammates is going to miss a tackle, so you're going to cover behind the line and make that tackle if he misses it. And we never had anyone thought or any thought process about any cover defence because we had so much trust in the players around us and belief in what they were doing. And that was probably – that came to off the field as well. Um, but then probably the probably two really good members One, um, the, the, the day we got to Ireland, we, we drove up to a place called Port Marnik, which is a, a golf course uh, about 45 minutes outside of Dublin. And we were based there for the first week, had a specific sort of training ground there. Um, And we thought we were going to train very hard the first two days. But the first day we went there, we played a uh, nine-hole game of golf sponsored by Guinness. You had to virtually drink a pint of Guinness each hole. Um, So you can imagine at the end of that day, it was just a really good bonding session. And and Rod McQueen thought, well, we're not going to train. Let's just get together and take our time. And that was probably one special moment. Um, And then... At the end of winning the, the final, I can remember, you know, the, the first lap, well, doing the lap of honour, you received the, the trophy from the Queen, Her Majesty the Queen, and it was quite funny, actually, because we'd actually, um, the referendum was on that weekend, um, on the 6th of November, back here in Australia. We'd postal voted um, in Dublin two weeks prior, because in case we made the final, and I remember walking up, John Eels was first, held the cup up, took gave it back to the Queen, um, George and second got the cup from the Queen said, thank you, Your Majesty. And, and I remember I was third up and I, I couldn't help it as she gave me the cup. And we were told what to do, to shake her hand softly and say, thank you, Her Majesty, hold the cup and then gently give it back to her. She could then hand it to the next person. And I then got the cup and I said, oh, oh thank you, Your Majesty. Um, don't worry, I voted for you. <laughs> and, and she looked back at me, had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> um, but po- doing, I, I think doing that and then... Doing the lap of honour with you know the Down Under song on and just so, so many people never left the stadium and see so many people around the stadium was was special and my father had flown over actually arrived that morning on the Saturday morning dad was in Parliament so uh, flew out on the virtually the I think it was the Friday morning arrived the Saturday morning uh, watched the game and flew out on the Sunday um, to see him and my wife Katrina was there as you did this lap of Honor was pretty special. Mm.
1: Tim, the uh, ninety nine teams synonymous with that amazing defence that you mentioned and of course so Owen Finnegan's famous try, Stephen Larkham's drop goal, but is there anyone in that team that you feel is a bit of an unsung hero that maybe doesn't get the the credit or the attention they deserve out of out of that tournament?
4: Um well I always thought Matt Burke, um, you know, he was one of the best players I've ever played with and, you know, when you go back and look at the games and see how many penalty goals that Matt Burke had kicked throughout the tournament to put you know, we talk about now putting scoreboard pressure on opposition teams. Uh, I mean, Burkey in the quarterfinal was unbelievable. The sem- even in the semi-final against South Africa, um, you know, after the drop goal of Stephen Lark, I mean, Matt Burke kicked another penalty goal. So, uh, and just his ability and his play was just incredible. And I like, think um, you know, a lot gets talked about about you know, as you said, Owen Finning and other other players and um, with Stephen Lark. But I think for for mine, the way that Matt Burke played through that whole tournament was a, a credit to you know how hard he trained. For the three or four years leading up to it, um, and he was a, you know, a brilliant player.
2: Timmy, just back to the Guinness. I think you ended up with a whole, whole heap of it after that that final. Um, but but pre tournament, you, you spoke about the idea of having that um, bonding session. How, how influential was um, was an experience like that pre tournament?
4: I think it was just important because we had a um, we had a pretty good year um, ninety nine year. The year before, obviously Rod McQueen had taken over. He had this plan to go through to the World Cup and, and little stages along the way. and um, I mean, very quickly, the Guinness was the, the first game of the tournament. We were playing uh, up in, in Belfast, our first pool game. And we um, came off the field um, as we walked in the dressing shed. Um, I, I thought it was actually a – I didn't know it was a Guinness rep. I thought it was a drug tester saying – he said, oh, Tim Horan here. And I went, oh, no, not me again. And then all of a sudden he said, you've won a year's supply at Guinness – For scoring the fastest try in the tournament, and you had to be the person to score the fastest try quicker than it takes to pour a perfect pint of Guinness, which apparently was one hundred and nineteen seconds. I scored in one hundred and two seconds against the powerhouse of Romania. So, um, (laughs) so year supply Guinness, and that you know that. Converted to I don't know, three hundred and sixty-five cans, which we got back to Australia and shared with probably one or two players, but a lot, of, a lot of complaining they didn't get their share. <laughs> um, and, and Timmy, um, winding
0: it forward, the the launch of the jersey last week. How would how would the modern day jersey have gone on uh, some of the players that, huh. that you played with in that ninety nine team? Do you think it would have been a good fit?
4: I think they might struggle now, twenty years later, but I think. Um, I think it's a, you know, I quite like the jersey. I actually also like the gold socks. I think the more gold we have in our team, the Wallabies, predominantly when you look up and you're singing the national anthem before a test match, you try and look up and picture, you know, groups of people wearing gold scarves, gold jerseys. That's predominantly, you know, the Wallabies colour and and, and what we all sort of believe in. So, but I like the jersey. I think it's great. Uh, I think it's, you know, yes, it's tight fitting, but. I think if there's little one percentage that the wallabies can get going to this World Cup's going to be very important and um, you know I remember as I was saying that lap of honor we did with holding that World Cup was something really special and and I remember you know walking around seeing groups of Australians wearing gold at you know millennium Stadium Carter Farms park it was then and and after the half lap we' got around, we'd done it in about oh, three minutes and I actually remember grabbing. Owen Finnegan, I think it was Richard Harry as well, and a couple of the guys who were holding the cup, saying, guys, slow down. We're going too quick. This lap of honour is going to be finished in you know, three minutes. And so the, the second half of the lap took us forever. We stopped for photos. And, <laughs> and I remember seeing one group who were um, three backpackers, and I went over, gave them a big hug. They uh, wanted a photo, got a photo, and they said, you wouldn't believe it. We've worked for six months around the world, to save up to buy a ticket to watch this World Cup final that's how much it means to us they gave me a hug they were crying and you know and they were young backpackers and that's why you play the game that's why people come and watch
1: yeah well just quickly um, on the jersey uh, part of it David Campese came out uh, after the the launch of the new jerseys for this year's World Cup and um, he loved the look of the jerseys, but he, the the away strip, so to speak, with uh, with the indigenous uh, patterns and in, which is predominantly green. He he made the comment that uh, he'd like to always see the Wallabies jersey just be gold. You know, he loved the the look of the indigenous component, but he wanted it to always be gold and thought it was a little bit similar to the Springboks strip. Do you have an opinion on on that, Tim?
4: Well, I think that uh, for my, for me, and I go back to when we used to have you know different. Uh, former Wallabies come into our dressing room or come to our team uh, meeting prior to the game. And I remember the, the great center, Wallaby center, um, the late Trevor Allen coming to before a, a, an all-black test match in the mid-90s. And he brought in and showed us his first Wallaby jersey. It was a green Wallaby jersey. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's fantastic. It didn't, and, and we all then thought, well, that, that didn't matter what jersey you play in, but you knew that, you know, Every stitching of the jersey you're currently playing in has the DNA of past players, and whether it's green, gold, did not matter what we wore a jersey that Reebok had in 1997, which had a couple of different stripes on it, and I, I quite like the indigenous side of it. I think that's important for, um, you know, a lot of indigenous kids are coming in playing rugby. We have done for a long time. It's part of our heritage and. Um, You know, and marketing these days, too, you look at different sporting environments. Most teams have two, sometimes three different strips that they play in for a marketing sense. But I mean, predominantly gold jersey is always going to be the Wallaby colour.
2: Uh, Timmy, you're casting an eye just over the, over the 91 side, the, the 99 side legends lit, littered throughout and you'd say probably players that would have made the world 15 back then. you look at liners and the Nick farr Joneses and in 99 yourself for Griegs, Larkham, etc. Looking at the side at the moment, is that the area of concern that it's you struggled to find actually how many players might fit into a world 15?
4: Yeah, I think that Bob Dwyer said that after 1991, that you, you to win a World Cup, you need five players who easily make the World 15 starting team. Um, that may have changed a little bit over time. I think we have quite a, a broad um, balance now across you know the Wallaby squad. and I think we've got probably as much depth as we've had for a long time in, in a Wallaby team, but, but so has all the other nations too. They've all caught up and some of them passed Australia in their strategies and the way that they play the game and the depth that they have as well. So, um, you know, it's maybe Israel Folau, when he was in the team, yes. Um, and then there's probably another two, maybe three players that have potential, uh, if they play well enough, to be in a World 15. But I think we've got better balance in the Wallaby team. And, you know, I'm, I'm quite excited that, um, you know, you obviously got to win your pool games, which is very important. But to win a World Cup, the most important game, I believe, is always the quarterfinal. Because mm. once you... Win that quarterfinal. You don't win that quarterfinal, you're not playing home. You win the quarterfinal, semi-final and it can happen. You're, you're going to get up for that semi-final.
0: Some nice choices to be made in the back row. I think the, the depth's pretty good. Probably the same could be said for second row. You, you're back three, even without Israel Folau. You know, there's some, some good choices to be made. Where, If you look through the team, um, where are your areas of concern, Timmy? Where, where do you think that selectors will be maybe scratching their heads a little bit?
4: Oh, I think in the second row, I think we really need to pick the right second row. they've got a lot, lot to choose from. Um, you know, whether it's a, you know, Rob Simmons, you know, is he right? Can he carry the ball? Um, you know, do, do you actually pick a, a Lucan Tui, Isaac Rodder, a really big second row? Um, but I actually, that's a little bit of area concern. I just we've got so many to choose from. And similar with the back row, I think my, in only my opinion is that I just don't think we can go deep into Rugby World Cup. Having David Pocock and Michael Hooper in the back row at the start, I just think we need a very big six and a big eight. Um, that's what's happening in world rugby. you have got to have these ball carriers. Um, I like the way Dempsey's been playing. You know, I, I like the way that um, Izzy Is, Is Nisarani's been playing, and there's other players as well that um, that might come to you know get an opportunity in these first couple of five Test matches pre World Cup um and do you do you start david pocock and actually have michael hooper on the bench as a captain from the benches all these different combinations in that back row but i'm a big believer i think you need two big second rowers who can carry you need a, a front rower who's a really good carrier of the ball and you need a six and an eight who can carry and tackle because world cup's about getting across the advantage line and giving yourself a platform and you know We've got to be careful, and then you could potentially bring David Pocock on later
0: in the game. As important as those big ball carriers are, this is what I was going to ask you about when you, when you're flipping between if you're going to say Pocock or Hooper to start, not Pocock and Hooper. How important is, is that big body? over the ball at the breakdown, you know, you think of Sean O'Brien, Richie McCaw, you know, guys who have made big impacts at at World Cups, even, you know, Augustine Cravey uh, does it now, Malcolm Marks over the ball. How important is it to have one of those, at least one of those in your team?
4: Yeah, very important, but probably not as important as it was two or three years ago. Um, I mean, in super rugby, you're seeing it a bit more because it's quite an open, expansive um, competition. So there's more exposure to the ball being there and having that opportunity. I just think in test matches now, because the clean-out is so quick and players are so quick to the breakdown, I don't think you're getting as big an opportunity as David Pocock got two, three, four years ago. Um, So I'm a big believer that when you look at the teams, Ireland, England, South Africa, All Blacks, those four teams um, are really got big back row, big ball carriers, uh, and are bending the defensive line, and that's something we've got to really look at. And the, you know, the three selectors now, you know, obviously independent selector of Michael O'Connor and, and Scott Johnson as well, they've got five test matches to tinker with the back row and tinker with the team to find the best combination going into um, Rugby World Cup.
1: Just finally, before you, we you let you go, Tim, um, that point about maybe having the radical step of Hooper on the bench, I mean that would be unprecedented to have the, the captain off the bench. But like, did, did you think that will actually be considered? And, and could you would you then have to have like a co captaincy model that we've seen England do and other teams do?
4: Yeah, I think you could. Yeah, I mean I'm not saying I think Michael Hooper's a yeah. a great captain and a really good leader. And you know the amount of work that he's got through for the Waratahs this year as a top tackler in Super Rugby, which can be a good thing but also a bad thing as well. The amount of work he's having to get through. Um, it's because he hasn't been able to carry the ball as much as he would have liked. Um, but I think his leadership, he's bold, he's, uh, he makes the right calls in the flow of the game. So uh, I just hope that, you know, we haven't got long, we've got five test matches to, to get it right. And you probably want to make sure, I believe, that by the time you've played your first four test matches, when you play Samoa, I think you've got to treat that as a, your, your first pool game in the World Cup. Uh, I know it's three weeks out from the World Cup. But that's got to be your, your teams playing the first pool game. So, uh, And we're going into a Rugby World Cup, too, where your first two games are your most important games and you're not going to have anyone injured. Normally in World Cups, you're playing Uruguay, Georgia, week one, week two. You pick up a couple of injuries, so you're not going to have your peak team ready for the bigger games, but... Bigger games at the start probably suits the Wallabies.
0: Timmy, thanks very much for your for your time today. Um, looking forward to Thursday, I'm sure you are, and uh, just telling some lies with uh, with your old teammates because you all get better as the years go by. But uh, in terms of a day and time spent together, you'll love it, I reckon.
4: Yeah, it'd be great. Looking forward to it. Uh, catching up with everyone. We have so many great memories, and um, you know, whenever you play something like that and you win a a World Cup with someone, you're friends for life and
3: and I, and I know that all
4: these players, too, want to get behind the, the Wallabies and get behind rugby. There's been a lot of negativity uh, with rugby over the last you know few months uh, with, because of Israel Folau, but there's also some great volunteers that you know, are out in club land marking the fields at 6 o'clock in the morning putting goalpost pads up, and that's why we play the game. So I think enough's enough. Everyone's now got to start getting behind this Wallaby team and, and drive them towards winning a World Cup.
0: Well said, Timmy. Nicely said. Well done. Enjoy Thursday.
4: Thanks, guys. You're listening to the Fox Rugby
0: Podcast Yeah, Tim Warren there And uh, that lunch at the Western in Sydney on Thursday afternoon So that's in aid of the Cauliflower Club Which is a a tremendous uh, charity around rugby So uh, I'm sure that they will have an absolute ball and create some some news stories to tell for a few years to come. Um, Interesting thoughts, though, from Timmy on on the open side flanker. Um, Not being able to... And he's not the only one, of course, who thinks that they can't um, carry Michael Hooper and David Pocock in the same back row at the World Cup. But uh, to have you captain... Coming off the bench, it's an interesting thought. Yeah,
1: I feel like I'm starting to become in the minority of of still thinking Pocock and Hooper should be in that top team. Um, You you read a lot of the comments um, on our stories and on our Facebook page and, yeah, the majority seem to be that way and and a lot of the ex-wallabies that we've got here at Fox Sports are, are... seeing it the same way so yeah it'd be a massive call um one that I don't really see happening although with with these new selectors I think it's going to be at the very least discussed around the
0: table isn't it so you think they should carry um Pocock and Hooper in the same back row so who's your who's your six because if they do that you look at the role that Fardy played uh, at the World Cup in 2015 so if they do that they have to have the right guy at six so who's that for you
1: yeah, well, for me, last year, Lucan uh, Tui as he won was then now Salakai Aloto. Um, th- those three together worked pretty well, I thought. Like for a, a, a new combination, he's got a lot of aggression, size, and, and line out ability, and win many Test matches. Uh, well, yeah, I think there's been a few combinations thrown out where they haven't won too many, too many Test matches. Mm. I think Lukan's had a few Test wins under his belt. So yeah, I reckon he's he's got a bit about him, and and to me, that's what I'd be be going with.
2: Yeah, Salakai Lota is a good option, Luke Jones perhaps, but I think Salakai Lota would give more uh, running oomph and a bit more power. Uh, Timmy, I think he's spot on the mark there. I said last week I think only one of them will, will start
0: and I think it would be Hooper, but uh, we will see in the, in the coming months. Mm. In terms of uh, that World Cup selection, there's an interesting name being thrown up just in the last week or so and there'd have to be some... Um contractual manipulation go on to get him back into Australian rugby to uh, be eligible for the World Cup next year. But I speak of, of Will Skelton.
1: Yeah, well, Saracens uh, Director of Rugby, they call him there, which is, I don't know why they don't just call them coaches, but anyway, the Saracens Director of Rugby, Mark McCall, sort of let the cat out of the bag by saying, um, because it, it sounded like that had been shot, shot down, that, that Skelton was going to re-sign with Saracens, but McCall let the cat out of the bag basically and said, look, um, Will really wants to play at the World Cup. There's a few discussions going on and, and we're basically resigned to, to seeing him go down that path. So I think what we will see is something similar to Nick White, who was on last week, uh, signing... Um, with the intention to eventually come out here and play super rugby so it's a, it's a bit of a dancing around the the laws I guess but yeah because I, I, I
0: think the, the the law initially said you have to be playing super rugby yeah. uh, signed and and going to play super rugby the season after so you know Essentially, it should be uh, Will Skelton here in 2020 playing Super Rugby. It doesn't sound like that's going to happen. I'm still unclear as to how this works.
2: Well, Whether or not he comes back for a couple of games or, yes, indeed, if he comes back in the start of 2021, which becomes uh, a little bit ridiculous if that's the case, or if he comes back for a couple of games and then goes back to Saracens, I think there's going to be many moving parts. But... Yeah, Wayne, Wayne – uh, sorry, Stuart Barnes said the other day that, what, rules are meant to be broken. And, That's right, and yeah. And pointed directly at uh, at Will Skelton and the role that Armitage could have played in the 2015 World Cup, who's the outstanding uh, open side flanker uh, that was playing at France at the time. And um, I, I agree, Skelton at the moment is in outstanding form. He was brilliant in the in the Premiership final on the weekend. Um, he's just his, – his work rate. He's working the malls um, and around line, uh, more defence, more attack, uh, and he's just such a big body. Uh, look, if, if you're considering playing only one open side flanker, i.e. hoopoor or Pocock, it allows you to play a skeleton too because you're mm. going to be having a, a bigger... Taller locks and and, um, six and eights as well.
0: So, yes, just to clarify, Stuart Barnes um, for Sky Sports in the UK and and it was reproduced on foxsports.com.au writing, uh, rules are there to be broken and England should have smashed them to get Stefan Armitage back for the 2015 World Cup. Michael Checker must surely do whatever is needed to ensure that Will Skelton is playing for what is an underpowered Australian pack in Japan. Contracts, rules... Yeah, who knows? Well, he's not wrong
2: about uh, the p- the power game that that Skelton no. brings. Yeah, I think Check
1: was over in, in Ireland uh, the week just being for Leinster's reunion and was mm. going to catch up with Will. So yeah, look, it seems pretty obvious that there's a lot going on here, and, and we probably will now see Skelton at the World Cup. Yeah, and
0: well, Rugby Australia confirmed last week that there is a there's an offer on the table. Yeah. Um. So yes, they, That's, they want him.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it, yeah, you don't like to see this if it, you know, if it's just another guy making up numbers in the squad. But you're right. I think Skelton, the form that he's in, um, could be an actual difference maker. And we've seen it. Um, you know, get the best out of him as well in the past um, at, at times. So he's clearly uh, hungry and motivated, and
2: yeah, he, he could be a real, real X factor for the uh, world. He would have some unfinished business as well because he, of course, got injured in the pool stages of the of the last World That's Cup. Right. Came back, so he wasn't uh, part of the quarters, the semis, and even in the, the losing final. But it it brings a wider discussion of the Giddo law and what the merits are around it, and it, has it been effective? Uh, speaking to James Hall last last week, uh, five days ago or so before his bar bars uh, farewell, he he thinks that through in World Cup years you've got to have your best Australians out there for for the Wallabies, and thinks that the ghetto law in a World Cup year should be scratched. So a huge call. What what do the two of you think about it?
1: Well, we're saying it, in effect it is being scrapped anyway because I'd, if if Skelton turns out like, are there any other overseas-based players that you'd have in your team so it's they're finding ways around it to me there's no perfect solution every country's grappling with this but to me the ghetto law it's a reasonable compromise I think and it has I think it clearly has had the desired effect to keep some guys around so yeah look I think in an imperfect world it's a it 's a reasonable solution mm.
0: and and as we 've discussed um you know as Scott Johnson said on Super Saturday a few weeks ago, part of his remit now is to try and stop those players um, who are you know twenty four twenty five heading overseas you know in between the World Cup cycles, so yeah. Yeah. you have to have some um, some block or or some disincentive for them. To do that. So you would think that the biggest disincentive
2: for Sama Karevi going is the fact that he's not going to be playing for Australia if he if he does leave mm. to go to Japan, which seems like it's going to happen. Mm. So yeah, I'm I'm a supporter of, of the Giddo law. But great premiership final. Nick White scored early in the game. Uh Dave Dennis had a brilliant match himself and, and Skelton too. So What
0: are they saying? One of the one of the best premiership finals in history.
2: Yeah, it was it was pretty good.
1: Uh, Exeter looked like they were going to cause a massive boil over there for a, sec- a second, like you say, Nick White. I think the fastest try hand Premiership uh, final history uh, burrowed over, and it was um, it was all happening in front of a magnificent crowd, a ma- magnificent atmosphere. Um, but Saracens have just got so many big match players, Jamie George, Mara Otoje, um, and it was yeah a real taste, I guess, of what what we're going to see come World Cup.
2: It would be great. It's not going to happen, but it would be so good <laughs> if the, if we saw the Super Rugby winner come up against, you know, the best of Europe. And at the moment, considering Saracens won the championship Cup over yeah, there, yeah. They, they are the best. Jeez, that would be good. Uh, yeah. Compelling watching. Yeah,
1: yeah well, my uh, housemate Joe from uh, England, shout out to Joe. He's I put this question to him. He's a very avid watcher of both uh, Northern Hemisphere and Super Rugby. He's, he's adamant that Saracens would, would get the job done. I, I tend to disagree. But, yeah, it'll be a, a fascinating clash, so hopefully it can happen at some stage.
0: So he's... Uh, He's from England, did yes. you say? Yeah. So you guys are dealing just fine with the new water restrictions, I guess, in, in Sydney? Uh, we're dealing
1: just fine, yeah, yeah, absolutely. The cat's behaving as well, so, yeah, uh, yeah it's all going Terrific.
0: well. Terrific. <laughs> all right. Um, shout out to Joe. Hey, guys, thanks very much for your company today and, uh, and also to Lachie McCaffrey and, uh, and Tim Horan for uh, sharing some of their time. So uh, we will see you soon on the Fox Rugby Podcast.